My dad played in the big leagues. He blew out his elbow his first spring training and still got to pitch eight, le- eight years in the big leagues. I always go back to the Billy Graham quote of one coach will impact more young, young people in a year than the average person does in a lifetime. You know, coaching is a platform to make an impact and spread God's kingdom for me. What a better way to do that than the game of baseball. It's got to be hyper individualization, like we were talking about earlier, that not every cue will work for everybody, but every cue might work for somebody. In the end, it's it's not my career. It's not Joey's career. It's not Bo's career. It's it's their career. And so we're, we're trying to hold them accountable. But we get the culture that we build. So what are we trying to do every single day to build upon the culture that we want to see? Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Jonathan Gellner, founder and host of the Head of the Curve podcast. Coach Gellner is also part of the Union High School coaching staff. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Jonathan Gellner. Welcome back to the farm system. We're sitting down with Jonathan Gellner, host of the Head of the Curve podcast. Jonathan, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the farm system. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. I'm a big fan of the show and you guys are doing a lot to change the game of baseball. And so I'm just, you know, honored and, and thankful that you guys would have me on. Hey, Jonathan. I mean, likewise, uh, the impact that you had not only on the game, but on, you know, me personally, and uh, again, avid listener of your podcast and the things that you're doing to change the game and, and influence people. And um, just so, so happy to have you on. And we think that over the, the lifespan of, of your podcast and then all the content that you pushed out, I think you have so much to offer, not only us, but our listeners and the, and the game of baseball. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I hope so. I hope that, you know, that the listeners are coming away from this episode and, and from both of our podcasts with at least something to take back and, and use, you know, we, the last thing we want to do is, is waste everybody's time. So I'm just thankful that you are able to, you know, take something from the podcast and I'm glad that, that you guys are listening. And again, I'm honored that uh, you would ask me to come pick my brain. Of course. And um, Jonathan, before we kind of dive into to the nuts and bolts, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your journey through the game of baseball? Of course. And I, you know, I, I was reflecting on this question a little bit and this could be a, an entire podcast in itself, but you know, it, my, my career was a lot shorter than I wanted it to be. And I, and I think that a lot of our, of the people listening could probably say the same thing, unless, you know, we're 20 year big leaguers, then I think it, it doesn't last as long as we want it to. And, and so that I, I really take that personal when, you know, kids don't understand that whenever, you know, that, that they're freshmen in high school or freshmen in college, and, and they don't understand how short that time goes by. But uh, that's just something that, that has always been personal to me. You know, I, I always thought that I was going to play a whole lot longer than I was, but I didn't. But, you know, I grew up and, you know, I, we'll touch on this a little bit later, but my dad played in the big leagues and, 
you know, he, I think he was in the big leagues up and down a little bit for about eight years. So he, so he got, uh, he signed with the pirates uh, as a teenager and, and was in the big league, big league camp at 21. And, uh, he blew out his elbow his first spring training and still got to pitch eight, le- eight years in the big leagues, which is a, a monumental accomplishment and so proud of him. But, uh, so he was a little bit older and he was about 40 when he had me. So I didn't really ever get to see his playing career, but I grew up in a small town. I had a ton of great friends. I mean, I, I, I had the typical small town experience and it was a ton of fun, uh, played football and baseball. And, you know, I, after, after my, after graduating high school, I went to play at South mountain community college in Phoenix and I loved it, but I ran into some injury problems. And so then I had to transfer. Uh, after my first year there into uh, a school called Redlands Community College. And my uncle was a surgeon in Oklahoma City at the time. And so I transferred there to be close to him and to try and just figure out what was going on. And it ended up, you know, I, that that was a huge, huge, you know, derailment of my career. But it ended up being ended up being the best thing that really ever happened to me because the summer that, you know, we we all decided that it was it was best for me to hang up the cleats. I met my wife. and if I hadn't done that, I was, I've, I'd never taken a summer off. So if I hadn't done that, I probably would have never met her. And, and she's been, you know, my rock and, and changed my life completely. And, and, you know, who you're listening to today is, is a huge part of, of, of her because she's continually pushed me to be better. And, and, you know, what they say, it's, it's, you know, happy wife, happy life. I'm just trying to make her happy, but she's unbelievable. But after that, I went to UCO and, Again, I had I had no idea what I wanted to do. I played baseball my whole life, and my dream and my whole plan was to be a ten year big leaguer, retire, and you know do something else after that. And so I went to UCO, and and I, they I went to the counselor's office for I think the first time in my entire career because up to that point everything had just been laid out for you. I mean, as as an athlete, they just put you in the classes that that one you can make really good grades in, and two that that they know that you're going to be on a on a path to graduate. But I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And she said, well, you know, what's something that you really like? And I said, baseball. And she goes, well, we don't have a degree for that, but you can teach. And I was like, well, what what should I teach? And she said, why don't, why don't you try biology? And so <laughs> so I was in uh, I was in biology and I was a biology education major for about 24 hours until I figured out that it was way too advanced for me. And then I went to history and I and I figured that, hey, well, I mean, if if it happened, I can read about it and I can figure it out. So graduated with a history degree with a minor in kinesiology. And and after that, uh, my I got my first job at a smaller town. It's a 5A school, but smaller town in Duncan, Oklahoma. And then uh, moved to Tulsa. And I was at, at a school called Tulsa Union at th- for three years. Uh, my wife and I, you know, we wanted to, to move to Texas. And to give that a shot, we got some great opportunities in Texas. So we moved there for two years. And having a baby, we wanted to you know, get back home. And so now I'm headed back to uh, union for round two, which it's, it's crazy. You know, you're there, for, you're, you leave somewhere and you're like, man, I'll, I may never see this place again. And then going back, it's, it's, it's pretty humbling, but really excited to, to get started. And, and uh, again, I guess, you know, that's, it's a lot shorter than, than I wanted, but hopefully that sums it up pretty well. Man, no, that's awesome. And, um, you know, also too, just excited. Yeah. I know that you're expecting a kid here soon with your wife. And so it's so great to hear, uh, that story of you know how you came you know met her and I know that uh, I I could I could tell just by how you you talk about her and and again just following you personally about um, how much of a family and what that means to you so absolutely pumped for you for that 
when you dive into, you know, you go through all that baseball, um, you go through that long journey, and somehow you end up starting a podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how that started and um, kind of the purpose behind it and kind of what it's grown into? Man, I'll tell you what, uh, if it, this is such an awesome platform to be able to share baseball information. Just think about 10 years ago when we were, you know, going through high school and you guys are a little bit younger than me, but going through high school and the first iPhone was coming out and who knew that we could get baseball stuff on our phone. And, and so I, so my first year I was a coach and, and I thought I knew everything and, and I just, I, I didn't. And so when, when kids would try and ask me questions about the game, it just, sometimes I would just freeze and I just, you know, I, I knew how to do it and I just didn't know how to teach it. And so I started really researching and, and started really digging into the ABCA book collection and like baseball coaches Bible and baseball strategies and just really picking everybody's mind about that. And, and I'm a huge podcast listener now. So fast forward, flash forward a couple of years. Uh, I, you know, lit, watched all the ABCA clinic videos and I was like, man, I, I really wish there was something that I could do daily or weekly to, to just listen and, and to get more baseball information. And I was like, somebody should start a baseball player development podcast. Well, I didn't. And so uh, I, I, I love to listen to other coaches talk. I love to ask them questions. And as you guys can probably understand that too. But at the time, the ABCA wasn't really putting anything out. And there was a couple other podcasts that were pretty good. But for some reason or another, they didn't last very long. And, and I got to Frisco and my cousin, Max, who owns a real estate company, was, start, was starting a podcast. And so it kind of took out that excuse of, well, I, I guess I don't, I don't just have a, an excuse of why I shouldn't start. Because not only you know, did I have somebody personally that I could go to for questions, uh, he was starting one. So I was like, well. Uh, I may as well as well. So uh, I listened to a ton of podcasts again. And so I just followed that model and just started asking coaches if they would be interested. And, and you guys know how coaches are. They're unbelievable resources and they'll share every single thing that they've got with you besides, I think she says besides their signs, but it's, it's not easy. And it's sometimes, you know, it's thankless at times whenever you're sitting there editing, you know, out all this different information and, and it's just it, it's been a ton of fun and I've I've grown a ton in the process. I hope other coaches have as well. And, and I guess that's, you know, that's why I started. But again, it's it's I wanted to have conversations with with coaches and, and people like yourself who love the game of baseball. And I figured if I was going to do that, then why not just record it? And hopefully somebody else can get some information from it. Yeah, exactly. It really is a, a, a great platform for not, for not only ourselves as coaches, but to in, impact and influence other people within the game. Um, one thing we kind of like to do at the farm system is to find people's passions and, and, and more than that, to find the why behind them. Obviously, nobody gets into coaching for the money, as, as we know. Uh, Jonathan, why, why do you coach? What fuels you and what drives you for that? You know, I, 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 again, I, this is a great question. And if, if our listeners don't know what they're, they haven't written down their why, then I really, really encourage them to do so. But again, I, I started in coaching because uh, my coaches had a huge impact on my life. And baseball was a big part of my life, my entire life growing up. And so it, I just wanted to be able to have that. And so for me, coaching is, is really just a platform to make an impact. And me being myself being a Christian, I want to be able to spread God's kingdom uh, throughout as many people as I can. And so, you know, I, I always go back to the Billy Graham quote of one coach will impact more young young people in a year than the average person does in a lifetime. And I, and I really take that to heart and I take that personally. 
but it, you know, I, I was at church, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago when they, they asked the same question, you know, what is your why? And, and so they had a process of how we wrote down, you know, what, what we loved, what had gone wrong in our lives, how we overcame it and different things like that. And so I've actually got two whys and they fit together a little bit, but the first one is I, I want to model the behavior that I want my kids to follow. So I, I want to be able to do what I say and do what I ask my, you know, either my followers or my kids that I will be raising in the near future. I can't say something and do something else. So if, if it's something that I'd really don't want to do, like take, you know, my biggest pet peeve is, is at the grocery store, you've got the carts that are just everywhere outside. And it's like, man, these are going to, these are going to blow into somebody's car. And all it takes was like an extra 25 seconds to go put them in, in the cart, you know, the cart thing. But I always do that. And not because, you know, it's hard or anything, just because it's annoying and it's, I gripe about it all the time. So I want to be able to do what I say that I'm going to do. And then my second one is I want to uh, impact everybody I meet in a positive way. And you think about the different interactions that you have every single day. We probably have thousands and thousands of interactions every single day. I know, Joe, you mentioned that you, that you are, you are in, you drive Lyft, the Lyft cars. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher. So I see hundreds of kids a day and we always get one question. And so my thoughts behind that are, you know, I want to impact every single, single person, uh, every single person that I've run into in a positive way. And, And the question is, is how's your day? How's your day going? Or how, how, how's your day today? And everybody answers the standard question, which is what? Fine. Good. Yeah, fine. Or good, right? Well, what if we turn that around and, and even if it's somebody we didn't know and we just said, man, my, my day's going fantastic. My day's been awesome. I've, you know, I've, if, if I was any better, then I would be you, you know, just something like that to, to just, if I ran into that person again, then they would go, man, that was, that was, that was kind of weird. But obviously they're radiating positivity. And that's something that sticks out. But you think about it, they may be having a bad day and you just say, hey, you know, it's it, how's your day going? Good, man. My, my day's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for, you know, and, and I always give knucks at the door or fist bump at the door whenever we whenever the kids come into class, just because, you know, you, you never know what the power of one interaction can have. So we have a ton of those, but I, I really and, and that's to boil it down. I want, you know, coaching is a platform to make an impact and spread God's kingdom for me. But uh what a better way to do that than the game of baseball, right? No, yeah, no, that's that's so big. I mean, uh, Bo and I have said multiple times on the podcast that we're unapologetically, uh, you know, religious and 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 passing on God's kingdom. So we're so uh, I love it, and I love that you know that extension that you've you've chosen to use your platform to to reach people. Um, you know, and with that, I mean, we talk about this with the podcast all the time. One great thing with the podcast is it gives me, you know, just like Lyft, I say all the time is, you know, people get in my car and a lot of times I'll get, you know, I get famous people coming in and out of town or, you know, it just gives you a bridge just like the podcast does to have a conversation that you may have never had. And, um, I'm, I'm really interested to see what you, how you've taken the knowledge that you've gained from your interviews and how you've applied them towards your practices and applied them towards your life. Man, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, podcasting is a very humbling experience. And to just be able to interview guests that are, are way better than myself, I mean, it's, I'm constantly taking away stuff. And I think that, you know, I think that with, with that for myself, it's, I get almost too much, too much stuff. Like, 
I get, you know, a, a lot of different ideas weekly from different coaches that, that are fantastic and I want to use them all, but I can't, but I just think, you know, the greatest coaches in the world are, are the greatest thieves. And I, that's, that's something that, you know, that, that I've, I've taken a heart. I, I think that, you know, even uh, whether it's a pro ball coach that I've interviewed or a D one coach that I've interviewed, and you guys have seen this too, they're all seeking knowledge and they're all seeking to get better and to constantly learn. And they're, they're really lifelong learners, but just a ton of new ideas to try. And, you know, whether it works in your specific program or not, but I, I guess the main idea and what I've taken away is man, the game of baseball is a great game. And I really don't know as much as I thought that I did at one point in time. For sure. And I think it's it's humbling to know that you can start somewhere and, and gain so much information from people that are so much above us in the game of baseball. Um, kind of building on that, we have the ability to, to interview pro guys, college guys, high school guys. Um, for you, Jonathan, what do you like most about coaching at that high school level? Uh, I, I just think that 13 to 24 is a really, really, really impactful age. And I... You know, I I did spend one semester coaching in college and I just, you know, I, I to be honest with you, I talked to the head coach and it was a division two college. And I was like, I'm, can I ask you a personal question about how much you're making? <laughs> and he was like, uh, you know, and he threw out a number and I was like, oh, OK, so I could make that at least my first year of teaching. And this is your 20th year coaching. Uh, I, I don't know if, if it was right for me. And at the time I was engaged to Macy and she was like, you know, women like nice things. So. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to s still do what I'm doing, but I guess high school is a lot more secure and you don't have to move as much, even though I've moved way too much, but we get these kids for four years and whether that's high school or college, we get them for four years. And for us, or for me, 13 to 18 is a huge, huge age of change. And they're going through hormones and they're going through, I'm about to be out of home for my first time in my life. And so you look, I mean, and we look back and, and who had the biggest impact on us? It's probably our high school coaches just because they're from the same town. We get to see them in class every day. We get to see them outside of class every day. We get to see them at baseball practice. We probably see them at the grocery store. And then they're looking around the corner to make sure, you know, your players are, are walking the other direction. But, you know, it's, it's, we, we get to see them all the time. And so I've, and you know, to, to further that, that's, that's what I used to do. But now I, you know, go up to him and I'm like, Hey man, you know, I, I want to build that relationship any, any chance that I get, but we just look back and, and who had the biggest impact on us. And, and I think that that's, uh, that that's your high school to college age. And for me, the best fit was a uh, high school. Man, that's awesome. And, you know, I think that just ties in. I mean, that's one thing I didn't have an appreciation for high school until I coached at high school. Um, right. And I, and I, I think that that, what that was is I, I had to come, I just, I just remember when I was looking into coaching, I had a couple college offers to go coach at some colleges that I had played at, or I knew a coach and uh, the guy that owned my, my baseball Academy in Vegas on deck baseball Academy. Um, he moved out here and took over a team. And my whole thought process was, you know, I had all these offers to go and coach at a, at, at college level. It's like, why would I ever coach high school? Those kids are crazy. You know, the hormones, just like you said, the, the hormones are up and down the parents, you got to deal with all of this. You know, I just want, you know, I don't want, you know, I was in my head at the time, I'm just thinking about grabbing players that are really serious about the game. And at high school, you know, it, it weeds out as they go to college. You know, there are some guys in high school that are there that want to have the Jersey and want to say they're on the team. And, um, you know, and that's all about culture and kind of, you know, building those things. But, in any case, I just thought it was uh, once I got here, I just got the appreciation of you have to in high school, you get what you get. 
you know, you don't, um, you don't get to go recruit if the guy didn't work out. You can't just go grab somebody else. I mean, you really truthfully have to develop guys. And I think that I've built such an appreciation for that and a love for that, uh, the development side rather than, you know, that transactional, um, you know, guys are in and out. You got these transfers coming in for two years and, you know, he just started to click and you got to give them away or, you know, and so I just built such a big appreciation for high school um, throughout. And um, just again, that I, I can just mend with you on that, on that level of just how much I loved high school since I've been here. Sure. Um, you know, what would you say are your top three things that you've learned from the interviews that you had with all of these just the other day, you had your, your year anniversary. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So what are the, what would you say over that last year, what are the top three things, if you could pick three things that you learned uh, throughout those interviews? You know, it's funny you ask and about six months in, six months into the, to the podcast, I was like, I'm going to do an episode of, of all the things that I've learned in the podcast. And so I started writing and like three hours later, I was like this, I can't boil this down to one episode. So this was a really hard question to answer uh, top three things. And so, so I picked really broad answers and hopefully I'll be able to, you know, reel them in a little bit. But, uh, number one, there's a, there's a lot of coaches that are better than me. There's a lot of coaches that are better than me out there. And, and most of the ones that are listening are, are really good coaches seeking better information. And there's just so many good coaches out there. Some of them we'll never have heard of in our entire lives, but that's just, I mean, it's, and most of them will share information with you. And it's, I, I think I've asked, you know, I, I don't know how many people I've asked to be on the podcast a bunch and, and probably 95% have been like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to do this. And and the ones that haven't have been like, eh, I can't right now because of time, yada, yada, or things like that. And so there's so many coaches out there that are willing to share information and all you have to do is ask. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. If, if we're share if I'm sharing stuff with you and you're sharing stuff with me, you're going to give me some stuff that'll make my stuff better. And, and it's just that's that's an unbelievable uh, uh, about baseball coaches is we all share different information just because we're going to have that one kid that we can't get to for some reason or another. And we can't fix the problem that they're having. And there may be another coach out there that, that can. Uh, the second one was something that that I really realized after my first maybe year or two of coaching. And that's uh, and even more so after I've after I've done a podcast and interviewed, you know, 50 plus people. And that's relationships matter more than technical knowledge. And so my first year, again, I, I touched on it earlier. I really, I, I was the coach that I had growing up. And, you know, whether or not, whether or not that was, that was good or not, I mean, as that's probably your average Joe coach, but I was, I was there and, and I didn't want to be their friend. I, I thought that me, I, I think I was 21 and I was teaching seniors in high school. So there wasn't, there wasn't a very big age divide. And so I, I, Everyone told me whenever I first, you know, started in the classroom and started coaching is you don't want them to be your friend. You don't want them to be your friend. And the longer that I go and it, maybe it's just because I am getting older, but the more I realize they don't they don't want to be my friend. Like I, I don't want to be their friend. They don't want to be my friend. They have their own friends, but they do need those personal relationships and they do need some advice and some help. And what we wish we had had whenever we were 15, 16 years old. And almost every single coach that I've talked to, and granted, you and I both, we vet these coaches pretty well. We want to make sure we get good people on the podcast. And almost every single one of them has told and has said in one way or another that relationships matter so much. But I guess I really realized it. My So my, my third year of coaching, 
I, so I took, I, I had a, I, I had a job my first year in Duncan, Oklahoma, and I love the people there, but it just, it, it wasn't a good fit for me. It was out in the middle of, of a small town in Oklahoma and I grew up in one and I didn't want to stay there. So moved to the thriving metropolis of Tulsa, Oklahoma at a really good mm-hmm. school. And I didn't coach football my first year, but my third year, I was sitting in the office with uh, somebody who really changed my life. And it was it, both of both of those coaches did, ha, did uh, coach Sean Newkirk, who's a baseball coach and, and coach Frederick, who's a football coach. But I'm sitting there sitting there in his office and they had just reeled off, you know, four state championships in a row. They have division one players uh, every single year, like a, a handful or more. And so he's interviewing me and it's, it's for like a freshman job. And every single question was relationship based. And so I asked him, I, you know, I, I was just asking him about, you know, what he looks for in coaches. And he said, this is what I want. He said, my first year, whenever I was a coach here, everybody left. He said, everybody left because uh, of turnover. And it's a big school. It's a six day school, the second largest school in Oklahoma. And he said, and it was so late in the process that I didn't I didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't just go out and hire anybody because it's it's like June or July and everybody has families and they don't want to move in a couple of weeks. And so he said, I hire good men because I can teach you how to coach. And that for coming from somebody like that, who had, you know, again, won four state championships in a row, has since won their fifth and is either in the state championship game or, or finish or, or winning it every single year. That, that told me about all I needed to know. So that was when I went all in on the relationships point. And then the third one is, I, I hope you guys didn't ask me to get too technical with this question, but we're just scratching the surface on what we can do to improve player development. And there's so many different ways to do that. And, and I know that we always have, you know, some discussions on Twitter about this and that. And I'm somewhere in between because, you know, what works with this player is not going to work with this player. And I just think that we're just scratching the surface on what what we can improve to or what we can do to improve, you know, just player development in baseball as a whole. Yeah, man, I, I I love those three that you hit on. And I think it's, you know, podcasting now for the short while, I think it's apparent that those are the three biggest takeaways. Um, as we build those relationships and as we transfer that knowledge, it's apparent that we can see where the game of baseball is heading and kind of the impact that we have as coaches. Um, my question is, now that you've podcasted for a little over a year, how has that experience affected your outlook on baseball and kind of where the game is heading? Man, that's that's a really good question. Uh, so, again, my so my dad played in the big leagues from the late '60s to the mid to late '70s, and we always have these discussions about the the different eras of baseball. And so we're listen, we're sitting at at home last night, and I'm I'm listening to him tell me stories about Willie Mays, and they had the like this roundtable of Willie Mays and Sandy Koufax and Johnny Bench and Hank Aaron, and they were talking about you know today's hitters and you know, what is the difference between the eras? And, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, he's, he's big on, you know, they, they strike out too much. They're all or nothing swings. And, and so I constantly send him pitching ninja videos of like uh, these guys <laughs> just throwing 99 with just filthy sink. And I'm like, could you hit, I mean, could you literally hit this? And so, yeah. the, so Hank Aaron was talking about, you know, the, the ball is straighter now they're throwing it harder. We can catch up the velo. It is what it is. I, th- I think every generation, and we're probably going to be the same in, in 20 or 30 years, have been like, you know, Mike Trout is the greatest baseball player in the world, which he is, but there may be another Mike Trout out there, and we may have to come to that understanding of, man, it's it's the game is continually getting better, and, and that's okay, and that's okay. So 
we, we always have those healthy discussions and you know, we are always, we're always wanting to believe that we saw the best player in baseball. And, and I think that, that we, we are, and he could, you know, he could say some of the same things about that as well. But I think that, you know, the way that we coach baseball is going to change a lot in the next four or five years. I think it's going to go to more like a constraints led approach, which you where you're starting to see with, with a lot of people on Twitter, especially driveline. I know that they use CLA quite a bit. I think we're going to go start seeing more game like scenarios in practice. You know, we, we as coaches, we talk about, we want our practices to be game like, but we're hitting, you know, the same ground ball mindlessly throughout an entire practice and really not having our players think. So uh, I, I know the discussion between blocked and random pl- practice is a really good one, but at the same time, we w- we want our practices to be game like. So I think that, that we're going to start seeing that more in practices, and I think we're going to. I think they're already experimenting with that stuff now, uh, and so I think that we'll start to see more self discovery and self organization models, and a lot of other sports do it. But you know, for for some reason or another, baseball is an old sport, and and it's really it's it, 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 the reason why a lot of this stuff, I think, hasn't been tried yet is one, because of tradition and two, because baseball is already really hard. And so whenever you start introducing this stuff and the person struggles, then you've you've got a good chance of you're going to lose that person. But uh, those and, you know, hyper individualization, I know that, again, to touch on driveline, I, I think that the, what they're doing with the track technology and I think that that's really cool. And then one that. Another one that really that really changed uh, another way that I coached was internal versus external cues. And instead of, you know, telling the person what I wanted, I and and I do that sometimes. So I, it'd be like, for instance, Joey, I want you to, to do this. And so and, and, and I ask him to do that. But I also say, can you show me what that looks like? Can you show me what you think that that means uh, in your in in your own way? So not only are you are you having them repeat what you're, you know, what you're asking them to do, but you're also having them show you, uh, which, which is their brain telling their body what, you know, what the, the cue that we're giving them. So instead of just doing it internal cues, like, Hey, don't fly open. Hey, you're, you're staying, you're, you're flying open too early or, or whatever. You're going to start seeing a whole lot more external cues of, of giving them goals and having them work through it. And then us just being honestly, uh, we're making them their own best pitching coach and we're just kind of getting out of the way. Yeah, I love that. That you kind of—I was thinking through that the other day too, as well as um, Eugene Bleeker. Obviously, I know you've had him on your show. Um, He's—he's—he's he's, he's mega nerd. I always call him mega nerd. Um, and in right. any, in any case, talk, I, 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 you, you talk yeah. about a guy who uh, who you said, "What have you learned?" Well, I, I learned who Eugene Bleeker was, and I learned that I wasn't <laughs> as good as I thought I was. <laughs> Yeah, Eugene's on a different level. Um, one thing I love that he kind of talked about when he goes into queuing and things like that is obviously I, I always like I, I've kind of bought into the Eugene approach and and I think one thing I always get scared of uh, as we develop things is, is is there's this thing that we always want to accept the new and discard the old, mm-hmm. you know, and like and so it, it's funny. It's funny as we learn more and more things like uh, one thing I've been seeing on Twitter lately. And again, it's probably just my circle. You know, we always fall into we think everything is working. You know what? How the world's working is just the circle that we were involved in. But sure. um, one thing I've been seeing on, on Twitter and you kind of mentioned this uh, before we hit the record button is uh, some people right now are really trying to disown uh, normal batting practice. Right. Um, or trying to disown slower speeds, you know, like let's say front flip, side flips, you know, uh, hitting 45 miles an hour BP and things like that. And, um, or the same thing too. I, you know, a little while back, I saw people trying to disown, 
um, you know, internal cues or someone arguing the opposite way, which they never use external cues because of such and such reason. And, you know, I, I've, I've talked about a couple with this with a couple of people is I feel like we have to be real careful when we try to discard things because, you know, they're all part of that toolbox. And just like you said, there's so many things like when we're trying to teach all these people and all these players, something will work for one player that doesn't work for another player. And I also think there's the weight also of good external cues and Mm -hmm. good internal cues. Like, let's say, for example, if you give somebody an external cue, hey, I want you to hit the ball to the moon. Okay, what does that mean (laughs) for one? And two, you know, is that a good cue? Maybe for that situation, maybe it is. I mean, I told I told a kid the other day, um, I told a kid the other day, I said, hey, I want you to hit the highest pop up you can hit, you know, and then I've also had somebody else, you know, uh, I've talked about this with Eugene, maybe or, or, you know, maybe I tell somebody, hey, I want you to pull everything, which would be the opposite of whatever coach has ever told me in my entire life, hit the highest pop up you can hit and pull everything. And, um, but again, it's, it's so how a person interprets that is so much different. And I, I, I'm just so interested and I've been falling in love with, the uh, the brain side of it and how they process things and how players take those things. So I just think it's so interesting. Like you said, as we go, um, you know, we learn all these different ways and I, I always try to be so careful of what I discard and what I just try to use less of. And um, it's just interesting to hear uh, what everybody's talking about. You know how it is. It's just always changing. The game's ever evolving. Um, But it's just so, it's just so interesting what, um, you know, I've just seen, I've been seeing a lot of people trying to disown uh, batting practice and um, I'm just not so quick to, I I think there's, it has its spot in the progression, you know, led approach and the constraint led approach. And um, you've changed the distances. 45 miles an hour is a lot different when you're only 20 feet away or 30 feet away or 40 feet away. They're all different uh, constraints. So I think it's just interesting as we go forward, um, how we learn more and more of those things. Do you agree? Would you, would you disagree? Or I mean, what do you think? No, I, I would absolutely agree. And there's always, there's no bad cues there's only bad interpretations of those cues. And so yeah. it, you may have a guy that, and I, you know, I've been guilty of this too, that, that I'm giving lessons to, or, or if I'm trying to help and, and he really, he's, you know, he's, he's hit, he's popping the ball up. So he's popping the ball up to the infield, which doesn't do anybody, anybody, any, any good. And so I'm, so I, and, and, and hear me out before you, uh, before our listeners start going, oh, he he's not a he's launch angle swing and and you know all the cues <laughs> and fly balls are fly balls are terrible. No, it's pop outs aren't good. So talk to the kids, especially you know this summer I'm coaching a 15U team and and pop out pop ups are outs. And for the most part, you know we're just trying to hit the ball hard and and so they're popping up popping up consistently. And I'm like, well, instead of trying to change, you know, coming into the dugout and and trying to change everything, well, just trying to hit the top of it, just trying to hit the top mm-hmm. of the ball. And for some for some you know, it's going to even out and, and somewhere in between. And if we start killing earthworms and hitting, hitting the ball three feet in front of the plate, then we're going to hit the bottom of the ball. But in, yeah. essentially we want to try and hit the middle. And so it's just like anything else with, with any, you know, scientific revolution or any revolution, baseball launch angle revolution, whatever you want to call it. It's all, it goes in a circular motion. You know, revolutions always come back, almost always come back to where they begin at some point. And so it's, I, I really try and stay in the middle. And so I, it, I was really anti bunt for a long time, but you know, drag bunts can be a weapon. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that you as a coach have to interpret what's, what's best for you and your team. And I'm not going to blow you up about it unless 
it really it you're trying to force every single thing that you've got or every single one of your beliefs on every single one of your kids because that's that's not that's not the way you coach the individual but I think everything has its place and you know I we may use cues that you know several years ago I, a friend of mine who's uh, playing in Japan right now, you know, he was six, four guy and he's 285 pounds and, and he's talking about swinging down, but he hit, you know, 15, 20 home runs that year. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, we argued till we were blue in the face. And I'm like, no, you do not swing down on a ball. And so this, this is several years ago, but, uh, but it, it, everything comes back around and every cue will probably work for somebody. It just, we can't go we, it's got to be hyper individualization, like we were talking about earlier, that not every cue will work for everybody, but every cue might work for somebody. Yeah, and that's that's what I mean. I, I'm sure you kind of pull over from your your teacher background as well as, you know, it's just like explaining things to, to, you know, to kids. It's, you know, I think a big thing about coaching and they're going that way in the MLB right now as well is, is how we communicate. You know, are you a high level communicator? And and a lot of people communicate, but also on top of that, a lot of commu- a lot of people communicate, but few connect. Uh, that's a John Maxwell line, and um, you know, I take I take a big part of that of you know finding out what's important to them, referring it to Fortnite or referring it to you know their girlfriend in school or conferring it, you know, like finding things that connect with them or that something that they find important. Um, you know, for example, uh, and this is completely away from baseball, but this is, uh, this is what, you know, our job is, as as, as coaches. And, and I feel like in certain rights is one of our players, you know, they're, they're all talking about, you know, he has multiple girlfriends and all this other things. And, um, I posed the question to him one day. I said, I said, Hey, if, uh, your dad had multiple girlfriends, would it be cool? You know? And, mm-hmm. and the reason I say that is, is kind of giving them some context, but, and, and this is away from obviously when it comes to biomechanics or any of those things, but giving them something to relate to that they can connect with, um, my point can get across to them, um, much more than sitting there and talking to them for two hours about why, you know, having good character is, you know, again, me rambling on and on and turning into a preacher. So I think the same thing obviously comes with, um, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to teaching them things about the swing or how the body moves, it's again, finding it something that they can relate to. and um, and what works for them. So I think that that's what the art of coaching is, is knowing what's important to them and having those conversations to know what's important to them and, um, and using those things to come up with internal cues or external cues that they can relate with and understand what you're trying to get them to understand. Well, and, and, and to your point, you know, it's, it's, you're, you've got to build that relationship first because, you know, you guys asked me earlier, you know, what, what would you do for the podcast? And I asked you guys the same thing of how can we make this better? But if we didn't have some sort of a, a relationship before that, and I was just, I, I came out and I said, Hey, you guys need to do this or this, or this, you're going to shut me down. And you're mm-hmm. just going to be like, you know, who's this guy? And, and why does it, why does it matter to him? Because in the end, you know, it's, it's the baseball player's career. It's, it's your podcast. And we're just trying to help them along with it. Like we are honestly just, we're hopefully a, an impactful stop of the road, but we are just a small, small, you know, smidgen of their entire life. You think about it. We have some kids for one year, some for two, some for three, hopefully a lot of them for four, but four in, you know, 80 in the 80 plus years that they're going to be around is not a long time. But if we can develop those relationships with them and you can, you know, you mentioned communication, communication is a huge, huge part of, of being a leader and being a coach. And no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I well, think I had, go ahead, Bill. I was going to say, I think, one thing we have to remember in this communication process with players is 
it, it goes back to what, what Eugene said, and that's that um, it really does depend. And we're never going to know what it depends on for players if we don't build that relationship. And mm-hmm. I think so many coaches nowadays will try to make it about them. You know, it's, it's, it's about wins and losses. And at the end of the day, you're not connecting with your player. So you can have the best information in the world, but if you're not connecting and if you can't say it in a way that resonates with your players, it really doesn't matter how good the information is that, that you have, which I think we've all experienced as a coach that, you know, you can have a guy that's half as knowledgeable, but he gets those guys to play for him. Well, you're going to have a lot more success. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and, and to kind of hit on what all of us were talking about before, I mean, I, I know m- many times in the Bible, it talks about that as well, uh, but talking through how God val- uh, values speaking in different tongues, um, because it doesn't matter how much, you know, again, if I spoke Spanish and you speak English, it doesn't matter how much I know that isn't, <laughs> we're not, we're not going to connect. And so I think that, you know, that resonates in all aspects of life, but it's, that's very interesting. I, um, but Jonathan, I had a little, you know, carrier pigeon fly in and someone told me that you run a pretty good practice. So with that being said, um, I want to, I was very interested in how you individualize development with all of your players and what are some ways that you go about that? Oh, carrier pigeons, huh? That's, that's yeah. 1800s. I don't know what you guys are uh, doing up in Utah, but you know, those are still around. I'm, I'm impressed, but no, it's, uh, you know, I, I think that, I think that all coaches should take pride on what, on what they're doing and, and practice. And I mean, that's, that's the practices should be ours and the game should be theirs. You know, we should really just shut up during games and let them play. And then, you know, it's, it's, it, the games are, I'm going to use a teaching analogy because I love to teach and, and the baseball field is just my classroom, but uh, the, the games should just be the test and and the practices should just be us helping them prepare for that test. And so, you know, it, we, I know data gets a bad word, but the game is your data and, and what you do in a game should dictate what, you know, what we need to work on a practice and things like that. But, but anyway, so back to your original question about how to individualize, you know, just everything with your players. It, it, it's it, first off, it's, it's a hard, hard thing to do. And especially like last year at Reedy, we had uh, five coaches and, you know, over 60 players. And so it's, it's, and I had all of the pitchers, and so that's, it's almost, it's, it's a really monumental task, but, uh, for that situation, it, it, a lot of it came down to communication and not just me telling them stuff. It's me asking them the right questions and getting them to understand and own what we're trying to do. But, you know, it, it like, like we've mentioned several different times in this podcast, it, you have to have relationships with them because if we're constantly telling them what to do, then they're not going to an- answer our, our questions honestly and truthfully whenever we actually ask them those. And so they may just give the yes, sir, no, sir. How does it, how does it feel? And they'll say good. Right. But if we have that relationship with them and that openness to just listen to what they have to say, they listen, they've, they've, they are of their own best pitching coach or hitting coach because they are the only ones who have seen every single ball that they've thrown or hit their entire life. And so whenever we're trying to make these changes, we have to understand that for the most part, you come out of the womb and the first ball that you throw, you're starting ingraining patterns that are really, really tough to, you know, get rid of. And and pitching and throwing, it's even harder because uh, for the most part, hitting, you fail a lot. So you're always trying different stuff to try and hitting. But for, you know, for throwing, getting guys to change their arm patterns are really, really tough. But having communication, being in communication with them, asking them questions. I love to be able to send guys articles or 
again, Craig Hyatt or, or pitching ninja stuff and just saying, Hey, what do you guys see here? How could we work this into our stuff? Uh, using that as feedback and using every, you know, not every single pitch, but every single outing uh, and just, you know, being able to track that and to ask them these are good questions. But if you've got a ton of kids, then you're not going to be able to track as much, but you can still do the first couple of things, which is, you know, individualized drills for them, uh, having an open and honest communication, asking them how everything feels and making them actually explain, you know, what, what is going on. Uh, because, you know, in, in some instances this last year that we would ask, I would ask the, some of the guys, some of the POs, you know, we had a lot of conversations because what do you do with POs for two hours and 30 minutes? Uh, so what, what do you guys do away from here that you really like? And so they, they were giving me some drills and they were talking me through them. And I was like, Hey, let's, let's start ingraining some of that stuff. And, and I know that Eric Peterson does a great job with the U program and, and we tried it and, and it's, you know, it's something that you're constantly working through, but in the end, it's, it's not my career. It's not Joey's career. It's not Bo's career. It's, it's their career. And so we're, we're trying to hold them accountable for the goals that they set, which are, I want to be a varsity baseball player. I want to play in college. I want to play in pro ball, holding them accountable to those every single day. And if we, if we are in constant communication and we are holding them accountable for what they say that they're going to do, then they're going to become better. But it, we can't just give them the stuff. They have to own what they're doing. But a couple of ways, a couple of really cool ways, depending on your budget and depending on what you've got, uh, the Moda sleeve is really cool. I know you guys had Brian Conger on. He does an awesome, awesome job over at Tarleton. And, and those guys are, are unbelievable. I know Driveline's doing the track stuff. Rap Soto's really cool. Uh, Hit Tracks is, is, is really cool. And maybe not all of us can afford that, but a lot of us can afford a pocket radar and uh, we've all got iPhones, right? I mean, we, we can take video and just, so you're, you're taking video, you're having these conversations and you're just asking them, okay, so here's, here's what I see. Now, what do you see? And then write it down. And then you have a set of drills that you really like. They may have some drills that, that they like that help them with what the same goal that you're trying to accomplish with them, write them down. There's your plan. There's your individualized plan. It's, it's not as hard as it seems. It just, it, it takes a little while. And but it, again, it is hard. You have to include players in the process and ha we've got to help them understand what they do well. And we have to sometimes, and this is another teacher trick. It's also a parent trick. We have to ask them or we have to get them to, to really think it's th that it's their idea at, at sometimes too. Like we can't force a drill on some kid if he really doesn't want to do it, but we can somehow work the conversation to where that, you know, if it's something that we really think that they're, that they're going to be better at, then they can try it. But again, it, it comes back to the two things we've talked about this entire time which is communication and, and building those relationships absolutely and it, that that kind of goes back that last point you touched on goes back to something i recently read and that's if you have them say it uh it's 100 percent right but if we say it it's 100 percent wrong um, <laughs> and i think that's something that, that we need to consider as coaches you obviously you you touched on your time there at reedy you were there the the second year the school was open and you were fortunate enough to be there for that first ever varsity season. I'm sure there was a lot of challenges you guys went through. Can you kind of talk us through how you guys as a coaching staff went about building that culture at, at a brand new school? Well, uh, man, I'll tell you what. I, so Union Union has a great tradition. And again, almost every sport is at or competing a state championship every single year. And I really took that for granted the first time that, that I left. And Reedy was an awesome opportunity but I did not realize how hard it was to start a new school. Like I had no idea, you know, it's, and it's, 
it's not just it's it's not just the program because we have no tradition whatsoever. So the they started the school. It would be four year, uh, three years ago now because the first class just graduated. So in Frisco, whenever they have and they have a, a they are building schools like crazy. So they're going to have twelve or thirteen, but they want to keep them all at a five A level. So like two thousand kids or so. So they'll just build a new high school, and the freshman or freshman and sophomore class will either you know your rising eighth graders will go to that school and uh and and sometimes like in the case of reedy some of the other kids from other different high schools are coming from you know from their high schools as well so they already have that tradition already said and so it's really hard so you get like a melting pot of all these different high schools and it's really tough to to try and i don't want to say break that but to build your own and so it's it's well we it, sometimes we'll get well we did this at at Wakeland or we did this at Frisco High and it's really it was it was hard it was hard I'll just I'll be honest with you and it was really hard the first year whenever we were our first varsity season and we didn't have one senior on the team because the highest class that we had in the high school was juniors but uh, our head coach Coach Cox did a fantastic job of of making it solely about the players I mean again uh, not to to beat a dead horse but it, it all starts with relationships and. I just think that we are going to get what we sell. And I I don't mean that in a bad way, like we're a used car salesman and we're trying to, to, you know, sell something that we don't believe in. We've got to believe in it, but we get the culture that we build. So what are we trying to do every single day to build upon the culture that we want to see? Because we see a lot of, you know, kids nowadays, or I don't, don't have any leaders, but what are you doing? What are you doing to build those leaders? What are you doing to help them? Because, you know, kids don't just grow up saying, I don't want to be a leader but they may not know how. And so I, I guess the first thing when you're trying to get buy-in is just get them to love it. Get them to love you. Get them to love coming to baseball every single day. Not that it can't be hard. Not that it can't. you can't hold them accountable. But if you don't love it and you don't get, get them to love coming every single day, if you don't love it, they won't, right? So uh, mm-hmm. spend as much or more time on, on you know with the kids, trying to, to learn about them on and off the field. I know one thing that we did was really cool was uh, every freshman class that came in, we all went and we had like a group of 10 or 15 kids that we went and visited, visited them at their home. And so we would go to their house and we'd meet their parents and we'd get to say, hey, welcome to Reedy. We'd, we'd take five or 10 minutes and it was really easy. But that made the the biggest difference that I, I could ever imagine. And it was really cool. You know, it's it's whenever I first got there, I was like, man, we got to go visit them at their house. We got to spend an entire day. I got to be away from my wife. And and we got to spend an entire day going to these people's houses. But it was awesome because from that moment on, the parents understood that, hey, this is this is what we're all about. And and it was really cool. So that's that's one one way. Uh, make it fun. Make it competitive. Uh, I think as as coaches, we as well, we we aren't vulnerable enough. And and so I you know, if we're struggling with something or if we mess something up, say, hey, Joey, man, I <laughs> I'm sorry. Yesterday, man, I, I completely messed that drill up and they'll they'll forgive you literally immediately. But kids know whether or not you mess something up or not. And so if you're not man enough to to own up to it, then what are you telling that person or what are you telling that kid? So own up to it, be vulnerable, make it fun, competitive. And I always go back to, you know, we the, the, the Bible talks about great truth and grace, right? We want to give enough grace, but we also want to uh, we also want to understand the truth. And so uh, reading the culture code last year, which fantastic book, Daniel Coyle, you guys go pick it up. You'll love it. But he talked about how Greg Popovich told him the truth. Like we all know Greg Popovich. He's yelling on the on the sidelines and he's 
He's just he he was what we would epitome as an old school coach in a game. But he tells them the truth and that's their truth. But he also loves them to death. And that's why, you know, I think he's been so successful for such a long period of time. And and so long story short, how to generate buy in. You got to develop relationships. You got to get them to love coming. You got to love love your players. You got to help. But if it's all love, we're not helping them get better. And in the end, that's not going to be good enough either. But make it fun. And, you know, that's that's the best that I've got. It It, it is hard. And so I, I completely understand new head coaches and and especially in new schools. You're going to new school. It's it's not very easy to do. Yeah, I think um, one thing, you know, it also I, I stole from the Bible as well as it's, you know, say the truth with love. So I always try to tell them, like, I, I try to think through that. Sometimes, you know, again, I don't, <laughs> I'm always not always in that state of mind. There is times that I make mistakes mm-hmm. and I usually circle back and I'll tell them, hey, today, you know, I was a little frustrated. You know, I think I could have communicated that to you more effectively or, you know, and I, I apologize to my guys all the time. But again, you can make those mistakes like you talked about. If you have that relationship and they know that you, at the end of the day, love them and, you know, you're doing it. Um, out of love and you're holding them accountable out of love, you know, it's a lot easier to make a mistake because they're, you know, they're in the long haul with you because they know that you're in the long haul with them. Um, but, you know, that's one thing I, I I think about. Well, and if we don't, if we don't make mistakes, but we tell the kids it's okay to fail, then what's that say about us? <laughs> I mean, it, it, exactly. it just, it makes no sense. So I, I fail a lot. And just because I get all of these different new ideas and I'm like, man, I, I just stole this from, from Bo and I just stole this from Joey. We're going to go try it out tomorrow. And it may or may not work, but the kid, mm-hmm. So uh, humbling, humbling for me is, you know, there was a, there was a, a conversation that happened in a dugout one time and, and the kids were, were talking about something. And, and so they, you know, I, I post stuff on Twitter all the time and, and I follow the kids. I have the kids follow me just so I can one, see what they're doing, but hopefully they're reading some of the stuff that, that I post, which mm-hmm. goes back to, I, I want to be who, uh, who I want them to, to become someday. And, and I want to continue to, to prove that, but uh, anyway, so the kids were talking about, hey, man, Coach Gunner tweets a lot. He must learn a ton. And I was just like, oh, man, they actually they actually do. They actually do listen. But in the end, again, to to what you were saying earlier, if if we're not failing, then we're not trying anything new. And if we're not trying anything new, then we're not helping the kids be progressive and get better because that's what they want. And it may be an old school approach to an, a, anything. But if we're not trying anything new, then we're not failing. And if we're not failing, we can't ask them to make necessary changes when they we know that they will fill at least in the beginning and get them to buy in completely yeah no i'm happy you dove into that because that's one thing that my dad used to say all the time too was you know if we're not failing then we know we're not we're not trying you know we're not trying to do it fast enough or we're not trying to push ourselves or etc etc so that's that's one thing i always kind of monitor how much i'm learning by how many mistakes that i'm making at the same time um you know with 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 that being said you know it's uh, I always try to tell myself, you know, kind of like what I was speaking to you before is just that, is that, you know, I think when I first started coaching or when I was a regional manager previously, you know, one thing uh, I, I'd slowly more and more, and as, as everybody knows, I love to talk. So again, I guess that's a great reason that I have a podcast and we, we both have podcasts, right, Jonathan? So mm-hmm. with that, with that being said, one thing that I've, I've learned to do is, is, when I'm talking to players, again, not to give them instant feedback. Sometimes I, I process, okay, how do I want to approach this conversation? How do I want to speak the truth with love? And one of my favorite questions to ask, instead of you know them coming out and uh, me saying what I saw or anything like that, one of the things I saw from ABCA when I was there uh, last last year at the convention was, is I always ask them, I always say, how do you feel? What do you feel? 
And when I, that's like the, one of the greatest questions because they get to tell me in their language, oh, I feel like, you know, this is jerking this way, or I feel like I'm, you know, or when they're hit, or I also want to know when they're, they're, you know, I feel like they're crushing baseballs. I'm just like, Hey, you know, what do you feel? And he's like, Oh, I feel really relaxed. Or I, you know, the ball seems big. I feel like I'm hitting the ball really deep right now or et cetera, et cetera. And just kind of hear their language um, that they go through things. And um, I just love that. You know, that's one of the biggest questions that I've learned uh, to ask. And especially too, it gives me some time to think about how I want to approach things because I asked their perspective. And as you know, you and Bo both mentioned earlier, having them say it first, um, you know, instead of me saying, Hey, uh, you don't, you're not looking great today or something like that. Or, uh, I don't know if I've ever said that line exactly, but in any case, if some, instead of something like that, you know, for them to say, Oh, you know, I feel really tight today, or, you know, I was up late last night or I was playing football yesterday and I hurt my shoulder. Again, it gives them an opportunity to give me some insight before I interject with, you know, what I think they should be doing or et cetera. Um, so I, I really love that part of it. I mean, would you, you've been coaching for a while now as well. I mean, what would you say was your most uh, memorable moment as a coach? Good question. You know, when you ask that there, there's two that really come to mind and there's one that, that I experienced and both of them were in the past uh, year and a half. So again, one I experienced firsthand and the other one I didn't, it was kind of a byproduct, but I'll, I'll get into that here in just a minute. But so our, our first, my first year at Reedy was our first ever varsity season. And so we're playing the entire season with just juniors. So no senior on the field. And the reason why, again, I I got into it earlier is because they start with a freshman class. And then the next year they go to sophomores, they add a freshman class and so on and so forth. So we're playing varsity baseball and a really good district. And uh, we had no seniors and we ended up, you know, we, we struggled at the beginning, as you can imagine, because we're mostly none of them had ever played varsity baseball before. And we had a lot of sophomores, a really, really good freshman class, but it's really hard in 5A Texas to to compete with some really, really good teams with not one senior on the team, nobody who had been there before. And so we tied for fourth, which the top four teams in our district uh, go on to playoffs. So we tied for fourth, so we had to have a play-in game. And so right after our, you know, our district season was over, then we had to play this playoff game or this play-in game to not even get into the playoffs yet on a Saturday. So we ended up winning that. And so we draw the, the one seed from a district that borders us and it was prosper high school. And they're, you know, ranked first for most of the year. Their dad is Rick Carpenter, who is Matt Carpenter's dad. He's got like 9,000 wins. I think he does have like 900 wins, but uh, unbelievable program. So we got to draw them for our first ever, uh, first ever varsity playoff season, but we were there. And that was the goal. I mean, the goal was, and it was a really, it was, it was a stretch goal, but it was a good one. So in Texas, you have this playoff format to where every weekend you have either a one game or a three game series. And, you know, those, those guys being a lot better than us, they wanted a three game series. Well, we couldn't agree on that. And in Texas, you flip a coin because uh, we wanted a one game because again, the, the better team wants to go more games because they're probably going to win more games. And we had, you know, several, a, a couple of dudes, but they're young. And so we flip a coin and I kid you not, the first time we flip it, it lands in the crack of, of concrete right after this game. And it's like right in between. So he's like, all right, well, let's try that again. So we flip for, we flip for that and we end up winning. So we get one, you know, we get one game and, and Rick is like, coach Carpenter is like, Hey, is there any way that you guys want to, you know, change your mind? Because we, you know, we were playing well and we were hot. We just weren't as experienced as they were. And, and anything can happen in a one game. 
So we won the flip and we ended up winning the second flip for a home team. And so playing Prosper High School, who, you know, won a state championship a couple of years ago, was ranked first for most of the year. And and we end up, you know, where it's two to nothing us in the sixth inning. And uh, so what happens is we bring in our closer who had been just nails all year long. Really, really good, good, you know, two way guy for us. And he walks the first one. The next guy singles and uh, the next or and and then they bunt him over. Um, and so it's, it's two to nothing. And, and so the next guy gets up and just hits the, we're playing on turf and it's a ball like four feet in front of home plate and just turf ground ball goes like 25 feet in the air over our first baseman. It's tied two to two. <laughs> we go 11 innings and we lose three to two, but I was just so proud of those guys. I mean, it's, 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 we had a really good year this last year and we ended up losing to the state runner up and they had two top 100 draft picks and really, really good. But that was like the, the moment of, Man, it's it was a really tough year trying to build the culture of what we did, but that exceeded our expectations, and I was so proud of those guys. But the second one, I really don't. I don't mean to take up you know all of your time, but uh, this is a great question, and these both came to mind. Is this so? The, so my last year at Union, I had uh, it was two years ago, and so those guys were uh, the I had so I had the senior and the sophomore class from this last, or the senior and the junior class from this this past season. And they got in the playoffs about the same time that we did and, you know, had a, had a pretty good regular season. But I always follow those guys because, again, we, we go we want to build relationships with those players. I try and text one of the, at least one of those guys a week just to try and stay in contact because you never know. And I, I want to, you know, I want to make sure that if I moved that they still had my contact information and we still talked. And if there was anything I can do to help them, then I would. But so they, you know, they they had a great regular season. They made the playoffs. They ended up winning their regional and then winning a state title. And I was so proud of those guys. And then, you know, after the game, they, they FaceTimed me and they were like, coach, we, this was unbelievable. You know, we just won a state title and they got hot and, and they played really well. And just being able to get their calls after the game, after having those guys as, you know, sophomores and freshmen and just, just get, be able to see their growth after, after those couple of years was really, really special too. Yeah. It's so awesome being part of that and building that culture and then allowing them to kind of excel and, and see that excess down the road. I kind of wanted to switch gears here a little bit, Jonathan, and, and touch base sure. on a topic that um, Joey and I constantly talk about, and I think it's talked about a lot, and that's uh, uh, specialization. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of touched on it earlier. You were a, a, a two-sport athlete, and you kind of excelled at that high school level. Um, what do you think were the pros and cons of that, and how did that help you, and how did that possibly hurt your career later down the road as a baseball player? Uh, pros and cons. Again, I, I, I talked about this earlier. I, I came from a small town. And so there, to be honest with you, there wasn't a whole lot else to do. It's, it's a football town and, and we're one of the, we were one of the winningest programs in small school, Oklahoma town history. Right. And so we played football growing up and I, and I really liked it, but what I most loved about it was I got to compete with, with the friends that I had grown up with, you know, two of my best friends that grew up, we were in diapers together. Right. And then, you know, I, I just had so many friends on the team and, and it was, it was just so much fun to be able to compete, uh, competing for a state championship. We didn't make it to the finals that year, but we were taught, you know, one of the top five football teams in the state and just going about that every single week and, and had some great coaches. And so for me, it was all pros and, you know, it's, it's, it was a small town. And and if I had not played football, I wouldn't have done anything else. I would have probably just, you know, uh, lifted a couple weights and then gone home at, at four o'clock or whenever the thing was. And, and so it's, I, I absolutely loved it. It helped me, you know, just w- from playing football, just being tougher, 
you know, and, and to, you know, when, when being in those situations helped me in baseball, you know, it's, it's when the game was on the line, what are you going to do? And anytime you can be in those situations, I think helps you out, you know, in, in the long run. And, and so for me, there, there weren't any cons and, and I, I, you know, being from Texas and, or being in Texas the last couple of years and, and Oklahoma football is a huge, huge thing here. And I, I think that, you know, two sport guys are, are awesome. And we always, always encourage those guys to, and, you know, I, I, I try and stay in the middle of that. If it's a kid that's going to, that's going to play another sport and really excel, then by all means go do it. But I, you know, it's something that I'm starting to realize the further I get in, get into it is if he's going to be like, you know, third or fourth string and never really play ever. And, and you can see that and co- the coaches probably see that, but he may compete for a varsity job, job in another sport in another, in a, in a couple years, or even in, in the year that we're talking about then you know, I, I just, I, I want to encourage those guys to do what they want because you, because in the end you, you don't want to have a guy on your baseball team that just absolutely hates being there. And you want him there just because you don't, you want him to play multiple sports or they need to play multiple sports. So I, I don't know. I, it, it depends on the kid. Again, go back to the individual. I always want to encourage those guys to go compete in anything that, that they need to do. But if the kid is like, coach, I, I don't want to play another sport and he's in high school and he's free to make that choice and his parents are okay with it. And he's like, I, I really, I just want to be able to compete and get better. And I'm second on the depth chart right now. And this, and you know, I, I really think that with, you know, having a, having a good off season and getting in the weight room and, and gaining weight that I can, you know, maybe compete for a varsity job or compete for that guy. Then, you know, I, I just encourage them to do, you know, do something that, that they like, but to not make any rash decisions based on, you know, the season just ending or, 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 you know, whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's, you know, a great perspective. It's, it's so different for, you know, individualized again, like I, you know, we got to take in that there is some people in, in small towns where they don't have baseball year round. And, um, you know, and, and again, there's some towns that are just very highly in one sport or another, or uh, different parts of the country or different parts of, you know, the world for that matter. Um, that just, you know, maybe they play soccer majority of the year, et cetera. And we got to take all of that in uh, to account and what's available. And especially some places, you know, seasonal sports, you know, there's some places that they they can't play baseball year round just because of the weather, you know. Right. So, um, you know, that's one thing to take in as well. So I think I think that's a great answer to, you know, kind of your perspective of you growing up. And, you know, that's all that's all you could have done and, and how much it, you know, how many great memories you had from that. So I love that. Yeah. And um one thing, you know, as you talk through, you know, we always have our most memorable moments, um, but I've had many and many of these and probably many more to come as our most humbling moments as coaches. What would you say to this point is your most humbling moment as a coach? Man, that's that's a great question. And, you know, to be completely honest with you, man, I I really I don't have one in, and there's not one that really particularly stands out. It's it's always humbling to you know, try something new and, and it doesn't work. And, and again, first year coach Gilner would have probably gotten mad and, and been upset whenever the kids called him out or just said, Hey coach, I, I, I true, you know, not call me out, but I truly don't, I, I don't understand what, what this is doing or, Hey, you messed up that we're supposed to be on this part of the practice plan or whatever. And, and so it's, I just, you know, it is, it's humbling to get to interview so many great, great coaches because we talked about, you know, there's so many coaches that are out there that are better than me. So every every single time I hop on the mic with somebody that it's, it's really humbling that they would one, co- want to come on and share stuff with me. And, and then two, they, the stuff that they share is, is I can always add, but I guess for me, I, it's trying not to make the same mistake twice. 
And I, I think that, that if I did, that that would, that would, that would be something that would be on me because again, we're, we're trying to help our kids overcome this fear of failure and this fear of embarrassment. And, and, you know, we, we ask them to do that stuff. And, and if I'm not, and it's hopefully small failures along the way, but if I'm not, then, then they're not going to be either. And if I own it, they're going to own it. But I try not to make the same mistake twice. I try and learn from everything. And, and I use Evernote a ton, which is a, a program, mm-hmm. an app on your phone that, hey, I write down, hey, this this was terrible. I need to cut this next time or I need to change this up. Or it's just being in constant evaluation. And, and you know, again, not one really stands out. I haven't had too many huge oops, you know, in my career. And hopefully I don't. But just continuing to continuing to grow, we're always going to be, you know, we're always going to be humbled by the different coaches that are out there because there's so many, so many good baseball guys. Exactly. And I think you touched on a great point in that evaluation process is the more we learn and the more we talk to people, the more humble we become because we realize we really don't know a whole lot. Um, So that personal growth and that personal development, we start to realize and we start to develop kind of that humbleness and then we can transfer that onto our players. One thing that I wanted to come back and touch on, you, you mentioned your dad, played in the big leagues, you know, up and down for about eight years. What was that experience like for you? And what was that uh, expectation level like from your dad? You know, I mentioned earlier, I, I never really, one of my biggest regrets is I've never been able to find any video of him playing. And so I never really, I never got to watch him play. I, it, It's really, you talk about humbling. It's really cool and, and humbling to, you know, come home and he gets several letters asking him for autographs, sending him all of this different stuff. And, and people writing in talking about how they love to watch him pitch back in the day and they were huge. So he so long story short with him, he he played on he was actually on three uh two expansion teams and one brand new team. So he came up with the Pirates, mm-hmm. signed with the Pirates, and he played with Clemente and Stargell and Mazeroski and all of those guys. And then the the major leagues expanded and they added the Royals, the Kansas City Royals and the Seattle Pilots. And so he got he got bought out by the Royals. Well, the pilots were having this this massive, you know, off the field problem with this guy named Lou Pinella. So they decided to get rid of him and send him to Kansas City. So you're welcome, Kansas City Royals fans. So for for John Gellner. And so he was on the Royals and the pilots at the same in the same year. So he was with the Royals for a little while for a couple of weeks and then was with the pilots. And they're they're most well known for having their first, you know, ever one year team. And Jim Bouton's book, Ball Four, uh, is is all about that season, and he chronicles the entire thing. Well, then the pilots decided that man, they didn't. They wanted to move, move cities, and so they moved to Milwaukee. And he was on the first ever Brewers team in 1970. So it's really cool to hear all the different stories about about that. And so to to circle back to your question, what was it like having him uh, do that? It's it's awesome. It's amazing, and I get to hear stories all the time about all of these different guys uh, on TV and, 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 you know, Mickey Mantle is from Oklahoma. So, so they had, you know, it, Mickey took care of all the guys that were, that were from Oklahoma and Willie Stargell had ties in Oklahoma. And so it's so really cool to hear about those guys off the field, but I couldn't have had a better upbringing. He was an amazing dad. I have two awesome parents. Uh, again, my, my dad played in the big leagues, but I'm more scared of my mom. She's about five foot tall. And I mean, she's unbelievable. Two of the hardest workers I've ever met. And with him, there weren't any, there weren't any expectations of me to do anything like that. You know, he, if you talk with him, you would never know he played in the major leagues. 
and it's I think for the most part he felt like he didn't belong there too. So it's kind of like us with with our coaching careers. There's always somebody better. Better. There's always a way to grow, and that's how he felt like in the major leagues too. Is is you know he I don't want to say that he didn't belong because he did, but he always felt like that wasn't a big deal, and that was just something that that he did. So uh, there weren't any real expectations. I mean, other people people put those on me, and so you know I was the big leaguer son, which put a lot of pressure on me from from you know external forces, but but never from him. He would always like, and for this is more for the dads out there too, and myself about to become one of of a son and. He would always stand on like the right and left field line and watch the games away from everybody else. And he would never say anything to me until I was ready to talk about it. And I didn't even notice it at the time. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coaching high school kids and I see these summer ball kids and I go to little league games and I see these parents just at just they can't wait to talk with their kids about the game uh, and what they did wrong. But he like we would get in the car and he would never say anything to me unless I asked him. And there were some days that it would be really good, and I would go like four for four with with two home runs, and he'd be like, "Hey, we want to talk about that." But there'd be some days that that it were not good, and we wouldn't say anything about it, and unless it was an effort or an an attitude or an effort issue, and then he would correct those pretty quickly. But there weren't any expectations, and he just told me growing up to to, to pick something that that I really wanted to do, and he would be my biggest fan, and he just wanted me to do my best, and and so. Uh, again, for the dads out there, I my dad played in the big leagues, and I rarely listened to him for coaching advice. And <laughs> I, you know, I, I look back and I regret that tremendously. But in the end, he was just dad, and he had this wealth of knowledge. Again, looking back to the guys that he played with now, and and we talk about all the time. I'm like, man, he, I could have really benefited a lot from from that. But but he was just dad. I mean, and it was just one of those things that you know, I I I will always remember that, and and because he coached me like that that I uh that I will now you know I, I coach my players like that too and and if, if you guys have time I've got one story that I wanted to share with him so he's coaching our little league team and he's you know former big leaguer in this really small town and and we you know I had a group of friends that I grew up with and I I loved him to death we ended up having a really good class and a lot of it was because because of him but we're playing soccer in the off season and there's this, there's this huge kid with great footwork. And, and my dad's like, Hey, you need to come play baseball in the spring. And the guy's like, Oh, okay. You know, whatever. And so, uh, flash forward, uh, several years down the line, the same kid, uh, played division one football at, at North Texas was a defensive tackle. So huge kid, but you know, flash back to, to little league days, we're in our first year coach pitch. And I, I don't know if he's, he had ever played before, but he's out on the mound and really, really frustrated. And, you know, I, I love the guy to death and, and he would own this up too, but he had awful anger issues. I mean, and we would have it out, he would pitch and then I would catch and we would always get into arguments and, and those were fun. But, but anyway, so, so he's pitching and we're at this little bitty small, you know, small field and he takes the ball and throws it over the backstop and sits down on the rubber. And me as a coach, I'm looking at that going, this is not happening on my watch. And I can just see how many coaches out there would, would do that. And I probably would too. I, I would, I would almost come unglued. But and I'll never forget this. This is one of the only remember, things I remember from Little League is so uh, the kids sat down on the rubber and my dad went out there and sat down with him and they talked through it. And <laughs> to this day, to this day, his parents still come up to him and say, you you changed his life like you made the biggest impact on him because every other coach in the world, probably myself included, 
would have, you know, taken him out of the game and yelled at him. But him doing that and, you know, our first year of playing together literally changed his life and his career. And, and he was able to make something, you know, positive out of, out of it down the road, which is all credit to him. But, you know, it's, it, that, that was just unbelievable. And, and I will never forget that. And that was one of the coolest things that, that looking back, I was ever a part of. So awesome. Yeah, awesome. Awesome story. So, you know, when you're kind of talking about you know, the legacy of your dad and I'm, I'm kind of interested toward and pointing that at towards you is, mm-hmm. you know, what do you want to be remembered as when your time's up and people look back and reflect on, reflect on you as a coach? Man, I, I, this is very cliche. And I, I know that in every single interview you will, we will ever have in, in teaching or coaching, we say we want to make an impact, but I truly do. And, and that's not an empty, that's not an empty promise. I, I, I really hope that I'm growing every single day. And, and the only, I do that for me, but I also do that because I have a healthy fear of, I don't want to be in a situation where a kid asks me a question and I don't either understand, know what the question or what they're asking or I can't find it. And that, that scares me to death because I don't, I don't want to ever derail a kid's career because I wasn't good enough. And so that, that's a huge goal for me. And that's why I'm, it, it scares me to death to be able to be in that situation because again, we only have them for a short period of time. And I look back five years ago and, and even last year and I'm going, man, I wish I'd have done that different, but I don't ever want to change a kid's career for the better. So I want to make a positive impact. Uh, I, you know, but in the end, it's just, it's me. I want to be remembered as a man of God, a great husband, a, a, a great and present father and a coach. And it's in that order. And there's lots of great examples out there. There's a ton of coaches who do a great job, but I feel like we as coaches, we sometimes, we we fall on the cross of, well, I don't have time and I don't want my family to get, you know, I, I want them to get the best of me. I don't want them to get, you know, what's what's left or, or the rest of me. So uh, just trying to balance that. It's really hard. And I don't, I don't, I'm approaching my first, my first, you know, kid. And, and I've, I've, as my wife and I have been married as Macy and I've been married for a while for five years now, I've, I've started to try and own that process and, and be present, not only more, but whenever I'm at home, I, I am present mentally and physically. And, and that's something that, that at the very first of my career, and even sometimes now, I have a really hard time of, of shutting off what I'm thinking about for the next day for that. So, you know, man of God, great husband, father, and coach in that order. And and I hope that everything else will take care of the rest in, in the end. Yeah, I, I love that message, Jonathan. I think that Joey and I and all of our listeners can take that and, and apply and work towards, you know, the ultimate goal of, of giving back to those around us. Um, right. You know, you, you, you touched on a lot of great points and you added to the development of pushing the game forward. If if any of our listeners would want to reach out to you about anything that you covered, anything we covered, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, you guys can, uh, you know, I'm I'm at Twitter at jgelner7, or if you guys have any questions, uh, you can email me at jgelner7 at gmail.com. And guys, again, I, I appreciate you having me on and, and everything you heard today, that, that's all I've got. So hopefully uh, your <laughs> listeners have gotten something out of it, and, and hopefully I wasn't too long-winded. But, you know, it's it's we are in the business of changing lives. And so I just, I want, I want our listeners to un- understand how big of a responsibility that we have to help raise the next generation. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of coaches would, would like, would talk about, you know, these kids and this generation. Well, what are we doing about it? It's our job to help them because that's why we got into coaching in the first place. I know we, we may have all had great parents and we may not have, but what are we doing to help further the next generation to make our world better? And 
again, you guys are doing a fantastic job with the podcast and, and I can't wait to see, you know, the videos you guys are going to be posting soon and, and how much uh, already, how much it's grown and, and how much you guys are going to grow within the next couple of months to year. And you guys keep doing what you're doing and, and I'm, I'm can't wait to see what comes out of it. Hey, no, Jonathan, you know, we thank you so much again. Um, again, we, as you pointed at us, we point back at you and um, just so appreciative of well, you know, what you're doing and, and the impact that you're making on the game. And we just hope to be somewhat in some part of that, you know, that just impacting people and be part of that mission as well. So we're on the same, same railroad. We're just trying to help, help push you guys as long, just as long as you guys are put, help pushing us, you know, we're all pushing together. So uh, I appreciate it. And thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thanks again for having me, man. Just so appreciative that uh, Gellner can sit down with us and um, just sh- share his insights and things that he's had over the, his life of, of coaching and also his life of just baseball period. And then now going into the podcast realm as well. So many things that we could take away, away from him personally and so many things that he can pour into you guys and just great perspectives. This call takeaway is brought to you by quality at bats. Don't forget to visit quality to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, I think it's apparent that, that you know, Jonathan's very authentic and he really appreciates uh, the game of baseball and moving it forward. What was the, what was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? I think he was very impressive. And one thing I took, and it might've been not only on when we were recording, but when we weren't recording, it was just very apparent to me that he was very authentic when it came to, he just wanted to impact people. And that was humbling and also something that made me kind of evaluate myself again, always trying to keep myself in check of what my intentions are and and staying, you know, to those principles. And so um, he was just somebody to me that had a big impact on what my intentions are and to stay pure and to realize why we started what we started and the, and the thoughts of the podcast. And those are my biggest things I took away from him is just to check those things and to constantly keep them in mind um, as we're building and as we're growing. How about you, Bo? Yeah, I think mine's similar. I mean, I, I really loved how authentic, how humble he was and how we talked about evaluating ourselves as coaches. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's apparent he's in the game because he loves players and he loves impacting their lives. And I think that's something we can all take away and that we have to continually evaluate what our um, purpose and, and, and what our intentions are while we're doing this thing. So um, I really like that. And, and, and I really loved how open and humble he was about his experiences. Absolutely. Guys, if you're not listening to the Head of the Curd podcast, you are missing out. I listen to it every single week. Um, subscribe there just like you're subscribed to us. Um, it's, you know, it's impactful. Uh, he has on some really good guests. Um, sometimes we've shared a couple guests in it, but, you know, every time you hear great guests talk, I mean, it's just like, you know, the uh, rest in peace, Augie Grito. I mean, I can, I can listen to that man talk all day. Um, he just so many different perspectives and it, it's so great uh just to have that resource like he said to just be right there on your phone so if you guys aren't following ahead of the curve podcast make sure you subscribe to that a lot of great information from there golden rule of podcasting we would love you guys share our stuff share our stuff let let people know hand out this resource share it to, to players we've had people reaching out and sharing it to uh players that are coming up people that are become coaches maybe a, a, a new recent coach or or someone again maybe if it even comes into podcasting i mean one thing that the reason, another reason we wanted to have Jonathan on uh, as well is we wanted to show some love in that arena. I mean, we are so, we are in podcasting as well. We definitely have the same target audiences of, of baseball fans. I mean, baseball coaches, but with that being said, you know, we're not in competition against them. I mean, 
Uh, he's shown us a lot of love. We've shown him a lot of love. And I, I want that to kind of be the same as well. Share our podcast with other people. And, and if you have any questions about podcasting, you're having these things when it comes into coaching or any of those things, you know, let us be a resource to that. Um, you can always reach out to us on social media. You can share this episode um, and make sure you subscribe so you guys don't miss any of these, these further episodes either. Well, until next time, Farm System out. Ah!